Welcome to Dry Clean Only, Conversations on Fashion and Style. This is episode 16 with another Tomorrow founder and CEO, Vanessa Barboni-Halleck, and her new creative director, Liz Jardinia. I'm your host, Kristen Cole, recording in Tribeca today. On this podcast, I share insights and conversations with my colleagues, designers, and friends from my 20 years experience working in the fashion industry as a high concept retailer, fashion director, creative director, founder, and buyer. I work as a brand and strategy consultant and advisor these days. I'm a hopeless forever fan of great fashion, inspired design, and innovative ideas moving this industry forward responsibly. That's what I'm here for today to share with you on this podcast. Okay, so we are at the end of June 2022. Thank you for tuning in. It's summer. Thank God. I've transitioned to cut off denim, burks, swimsuits, and bodysuits most days. My biggest wardrobe hole right now is a sun hat. I will definitely be contacting G.G. Burris probably next week to shop her beautiful collection of hats. Lots going on right now. The Paris shows are in full swing. Milan Men's has just ended. There are a few days of shows uh, for Spring 23 Men's in Paris. I love everything Ami is doing. I've always loved that line and I used to carry it. The styling of the show is kind of exactly how I want to dress right now. Rick Owens presented a no surprise, kind of dark, very post-apocalyptic show, which is not what I'm gravitating towards right now in fashion, too much stress in in the real world. But his collection was really smart and actually about hope and resilience and kind of brilliant anyways. Uh, We saw a lot of effortless, relaxed styling coming out of Milan, which seems right on the money for these times. And the most impeccable men's suiting at the star-studded Prada show. Uh, In New York, it's pop-up season, or maybe it's always pop-up season now, but we have a Chanel pop-up shop popping up in the Hamptons for the summer. It looks really incredible. They've converted an entire home into a shopping experience. Uh, We have two of my former pod guests, Adiem and Jonathan Cohen, popping up on New York's Upper East Side, both on Madison. Jonathan Cohen's actually just extended his pop-up through December, which is uh, an exciting turn of events and a great signal for thoughtfully placed retail. Very excited. Francisco Costa of Calvin Klein fame, who has worked with Oscar de la Renta, Bill Blast, Tom Ford. Uh, has just started a short-term pop-up in Soho for Costa Brazil, which is his new clean beauty brand. It looks pretty incredible. I'm a big fan of his work and very interested in testing out the fragrances myself. Industry reports uh, for the industry are looking pretty good for the luxury sector for 2022 somehow, thankfully, in spite of the global geopolitical unrest and looming possibility of recession here in the States, looks pretty promising. I'm in full on beach reads mode right now, not watching too much TV, uh, but I will mention that I just started Uh, the limited series Follow the Thread on Turner Classic Movies. It's so fantastic. The doc covers fashion design and costume design and basically all things fashion and film. Uh, Really delightful eye candy with smart commentary, great speakers and features. 
so many iconic film designs. Okay, so on to another tomorrow. I'm so obsessed with this brand and excited to speak with them. I go to the brand for simple essentials, black turtlenecks, tees, tanks, bodysuits, that kind of thing, but it's really so much more. The founder, Vanessa Barboni Halleck, is super smart, comes to fashion from finance, and is on a mission to do things better. Full disclosure, I have invested in the line. The brand is definitely one to bet on, in my opinion. It's chic, luxurious, very disruptive. And I'm really excited to have Vanessa on the show to meet her new creative director, Liz Gardenia, who comes to another tomorrow from Proenza. Just so happy to have you. Thanks for joining today. Thank you for having us. So Liz, you're in the city. Are you working from home or from the office today? No, I'm in the office. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in designing together and being yeah. together as much as possible. In the beginning of COVID, I took one month not going to the studio and then I, I biked in because I just think it's important to be seeing, seeing and feeling clothes together. Such a tactile process. Mm -hmm. And Vanessa, where are you today? I'm in Milan, of all places. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. What are you doing there? Just some business meetings? Yeah, no, just in investor meetings. And it completely did not dawn on me that it's Salone this week. So the furniture fair is this week. So the city is insane. I mean, in a mostly good way. In a mostly good way. But it's crazy. Yeah, I'm going to Milan at the end of the month. So I'm so excited. Can't wait. Absolutely. Um, okay, ladies. So I was just saying to Liz, it's Friday. It's gorgeous out in New York. We will keep this quick and easy and breezy. Um, and you're off for aperitivos soon, I'm sure. So Vanessa, I met you in 2020. Did you start the brand during the pandemic or was it right before? Six weeks before. Oh my God. I didn't realize it was so... <laughs> like practically to the day. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Um, what would you have done differently if you had launched it, if you had known it was coming? You know, I, I just think it was, it was clearly the unknowable and it was in a weird way, the best of times and the worst of times. I yeah. think we had a real window because, you know, the news cycle shifted and what became really important uh, was existential for quite a while. And so I think we were actually really lucky to launch when we did. Uh, we spent a solid year trying not to become a sweatpants brand. So, so that was, <laughs> that was okay. that. we have succeeded. Um, but I've no, I think effectively unloaded almost all of my sweatpants from 2020. So I'm down to like, like two pairs. So all good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was an interesting time. I think it was the point of when people really started where sustainability and fashion really started to resonate. So I'm, I was really grateful for that window of time and even just that window to build kind of a baseline community, which I think really was such an important foundation. But yeah, I mean, we I'm a big believer in relevance uh, from both a brand and a product standpoint. And it was a you know, it was a definitely a challenging first year. But yeah. I, I actually don't think even with the benefit of hindsight that there was a tremendous amount different that we would do. Yeah, that's great. You're probably part of a very select group of people who started businesses right at the time of the <laughs> pandemic. It's like a specific vintage. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really specific. Um, yeah. One thing I love about, you know, I love the brand. One thing I love is the very clear identity. You know, we'll get to the aesthetic um, 
soon, but the very clear identity of sustainable luxury and your three pillars. Can you walk us through a little bit about that? It's just so well-defined. Yeah, with pleasure. I mean, I think that the one thing that we really wanted to break was this idea that sustainability had to be crunchy, that it couldn't be luxurious. And, and really to say, you know, clothing is our most personal form of expression. It's insane that the way that it's made doesn't match our values. And we really decided to build the brand on these three pillars of environmental, human and animal welfare, because they're so interconnected. Yeah. Um, you know, fundamentally, we need to get to a place where fashion supports life, or at least is not in opposition or extraction of it. And, and so really, I, I don't think that there are many people who don't want to poison the earth, but think it's totally okay to not pay people living wages, right? Um, and so I really just saw this as a really coherent value set that was really kind of a guiding light for us. And so the goals for us have been to serve our customers, serve this woman, you know, really with love and empathy, mm-hmm. uh, but also to really show that it could be done totally differently. And so we th- think of ourselves as kind of this living, breathing case study, whether that's from sourcing to the use of technology and circularity and driving normative change around transparency. So um, that's the way that we came at it. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And were you a a B Corp status from the beginning or was that something that took a minute to file and move into? Basically from the beginning. So we started the process um, before we launched and it took about six, eight months. And so we ended up getting our certification in June of 2020, which was, I think, pretty much as soon as we could have we could have gotten it. Um, and it was really critically important to me from the get go, because I feel like it's one of those few certifications that has the opportunity of creating real alignment across all stakeholders. It's really clear what you stand for. It's really clear what the accountability structure is. And I think it's become a super important signal to consumers who, you know, don't have a PhD in the industry in which they buy products, right? So, yeah. A very quick, clear indicator of, you know, what this company stands for, which which I love. Liz, so I, I think of when we talk about the the look look and feel of another tomorrow, I've always thought of it as very, you know, clean and modern and professional and chic. I think it's, you know, really lovely. What are you um, bringing to the table? Is there a new look, new feel? How would you articulate uh, the brand sartorially? Yeah, well, I think, you know, what drew me to the brand was quality and what Vanessa said, it's not crunchy. When I walked into the store for the first time and I touched and I, felt, I touched everything and I looked at everything and I looked in the interiors of the garments and it was, it was so clear that the clothes were made out of beautiful materials. The manufacturing process was very on point. So I knew that there was this incredible foundation and there was a lot of pieces that I was drawn to. And I think the creative team did such a good job finding those materials, um, like working directly with farms, developing their own fabrics. Um, and what I think we can build on is really adding a little bit more emotion and a little bit more texture. Yeah. And I think we're at a place where we have that great foundation. So, you know, we don't have those things that traditional fashion brands lean on. We don't have leather. We don't have plastics. We can't melt fabrics together, mold things. Mm-hmm. But there's so much that we can do and there's so much available that we can work with. Yeah. You know, I think of knitwear as a great example. You know, in knitwear, you're making your own fabric. You're combining yarns, you're creating stitches. So knitwear is a huge opportunity for us. I think in dresses, just pleating, shearing, adding more print, a little bit more of a dialogue around palette, 
all these areas I think will really expand aesthetically the brand and still keeping within the ethos of a modern take on classics, yeah. which so many, so like so many women, that's what they want in their wardrobe. 100%. We love emotional clothes, but I'm yeah. looking at all three of us on this call and I see two black blazers and a black t-shirt, you know, like this is what we're wearing. Totally. No, this is, this yeah. is the foundation of, of most, yeah. you know, professional women, urban women's, you know, environment. And yeah, even though we all want to celebrate things are different, et cetera. I mean, I, I shop very differently now than I used to. And yeah, investing in, in classics makes a lot of sense. I always, when I'm wearing another tomorrow, I have um, that overcoat, that black upcycled cashmere overcoat mm -hmm. that I wore, you know, throughout the winter with many layers. And all the time I'm like, look at the stitching, look at the stitching in here, feel this fabric. It's a really sharp price point, you know, compared with other luxury brands. And I feel like this is now in the same breath as Gabriella Hurst and Stella McCartney. And how do you, this is a, a question for both of you. I mean, how do you keep your prices so sharp and so reasonable? I guess I'll take that one. Um, you know, it's really, it's not magic. It's really just a blended margin structure. You know, yeah. it's you can only do so much wholesale. Yeah. Uh, you have to think about that really, really strategically. This was clearly the gap in the market. Right. Yeah. This is exactly what we found from women is that they wanted to think about clothing as an asset. They wanted to buy that luxury quality. It was going to last forever, but not everyone can or wants to buy a $3,000 blazer every time. And so how do you bring them that sort of commensurate level, truly commensurate level of quality and craft with the sustainability baked in at yeah. a price point that just feels right, that just feels honest. And it's it's really it's really that. It's it's no more than that. Um, but it's something that we've been really laser focused on in terms of how we've grown the business because we want to con continue to be in that spot. No, that's great. And yeah, it just opens it up to not only fashion obsessed. Exactly. But like basically when I meet, you know, a lawyer who's like, oh, you know, you work in the business. What do I wear? I'm like, oh, you should go look at another tomorrow or, you know, someone who's not just like, oh, it absolutely can only be you know, Dries or whatever. So no, that's really great. All right. So Vanessa, you live in the West Village. I used to be your neighbor. Um, tell me a little bit about what what you love about the West Village, where where you like to go to eat and shop. You have your own shop on Bleecker. Yeah. I mean, I feel like living on the water changed my entire experience of the city which took me a really long time to figure out. I think I could just, you know, could never hack it in the West Village when I was younger. Um, but I love being by the water. That's just been incredible and was particularly welcome the last couple of years. Um, and then my haunts in the, in the neighborhood, I mean, the elk, I'm obsessed with the elk. I think they make the absolute best coffee ever. Okay. Um, we're at Kitsune a lot because it's right, it's a block away from the store. <laughs> so inevitable. And I think Perry Street is a totally inappropriate extension of my kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Because I really do not. Uh, I, never, I never ate at Perry Street, but it's, yeah, it's right there. I need to try it sometime. Right there. They make a mean cocktail and they're so nice. Those are kind of my, my spots. And then, yeah. you know, there are a handful of others that are really great, but there are always new things popping up. Yeah, I'm going to Bar Pisolino tonight for an early cocktail. So I'm very excited. That's definitely one of my favorites. Liz, where do you live? What neighborhood? So in the beginning of the pandemic, March of 7th, I sold my apartment in Clinton Hill. Mm -hmm. And I moved five blocks um, to Bed-Stuy, 
And my whole neighborhood changed in those five blocks. And I feel like that's such a New York experience. Um, The architecture changed. I moved on to a a landmark block with, you know, old brownstones with families that had been living there for a really long time. Amazing. And it was kind of, you know, it was one of the secret joys that I had during the pandemic was just kind of strolling around and discovering. So there's a couple stores that I love. There's a store, it's a multi-brand store called Sincerely Tommy. There's another brand called Savant Studios, which is a really interesting streetwear brand that does a lot of work with vintage, reworking vintage. It's very beautifully done. And then there's this restaurant in Clinton Hill that I go to all the time called Otway, which is run by a female chef. Um, She has an extension that's a bakery that she opened during the pandemic because that's sort of how she pivoted the business during the pandemic was by baking. And so I'm incredibly supportive of her you know, the weekly loaf of bread via instant, you know, messenger and go pick it up and all that. Oh my gosh. That's mm-hmm. so good. Tell me a little bit about some of the brands and lines that you love as a, as a designer, obviously you worked at Proenza. What other lines do you love and do you wear yourself? Yeah. I mean, Proenza is definitely a favorite. I mean, it's the reason I was drawn to that brand. Um, another brand that I think is doing beautiful work and I, it's been interesting to watch them evolve is Jill Sander in the last five years. Yeah, totally. Um, I really like their take on minimalism. It feels minimal without feeling too bare. And also there's like a lot of celebration of color. Yeah. It's still, um, warm still. Somehow. Yeah. It still has a warmth to it. And I, I agree with like the sort of the way they present the product also has that warmth. And then, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of brands that I'm interested in that are not traditional fashion brands that are brands that kind of don't care about fashion. And I think that makes them interesting to fashion people. So an example would be Patagonia, Patagonia. Snow Peak. I love Snow Peak. I think it's really interesting what they're doing. Yeah, my kids wear a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting from like the perspective of this job I have now, right, is thinking about those brands that exist outside of the fashion space. And, you know, I think it's interesting also what's happening in New York with brands like Kate and Gabriella Hearst. And there seems to be this emergence of female creatives and female creatives with a lot of industry experience Mm -hmm. um, having success right now, which is exciting from my perspective, of course. Exciting. And, and kind of, yeah, leading very responsible brands. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, I, I wear a lot of those different, you know, classics from, yeah, Patagonia, L.L. Bean, all of that. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm looking for a really simple pared down bomber. So I don't know if that's in your lexicon, but when you're searching it on Netaporte and Essence and Moda, you cannot find something that's not very loud. I want mm-hmm, mm-hmm. chic and simple based on the one, the LL Bean three season bomber. They have it, it's unisex, they have it in a bunch of colors, just not quite there. So just putting that out into the universe, see what happens. Yeah, I love those those classes. All right, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna look for you. Yes. I mean, a lot of my life is spent just searching for things, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, and me like, too, I, like, I'm like, I want this thing in my wardrobe. It's not that I'm scrolling and I'm like, oh, I have to have this mm-hmm. much more now that I, I know the one piece that I'm missing and I go after it very specifically. I mean, sometimes as a designer, that's honestly the beginning of the design process. Yeah. You know, there's something from your childhood or there's something that's, you know, not a fashion fashion item. You know, you're talking about an L being bomber jacket and you're like, I I need to make that better, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Is is your design process any different at a company like Another Tomorrow that has such a, you know, strong mission at the core versus past design jobs? You know, I think every, 
every design company has its limitations and its challenges. So that just goes, that just goes with the brand, you know, whether it's that the brand is known for a certain kind of product. So you always need to incorporate that kind of product or you're working on your margins. So you're sourcing less expensive materials. You know, at this brand, the, the mission of the brand really needs to steer a good majority of the creative. I kind of work in tandem from concept and also from what I know that we can do. And I think that that's important. So there's certain areas where I'm very intentional. I'm working on fall right now. I have very specific ideas of the kinds of outerwear that I think we should be doing. And we're sourcing materials for those outerwear pieces. And then there's other places where, you know, I'm a little bit more loose. I'm like, let's take some fabric appointments. There's, you know, a kind of attitude that I'm interested in. Let's see what we can find that, that we can work with, or we can, you know, substitute a a fiber or, you know, do something to change it. So it is sustainable. So it's kind of doing both at the same time. But I think, you know, I grew up, I was really interested in dance and there was this Bob Fosse documentary on PBS that I had on VHS that I recorded that I would like watch over and over and over again. And one of the things that was really interesting was like his choreography was really inspired by his physical limitations, right? Like he was sort of hunched over. He was really narrow. And I think any creative, it's like, you kind of have to start with, well, you know, what can't I do or what don't I want to do or what doesn't align with my values yeah. and then, and then work from there. And it's nice sometimes to be in a box, you know, a little bit of a box. I I totally agree. I think constraints are, um, yeah, actually kind of powerful for creativity. Vanessa. So I just have two more questions for you, Vanessa. Authenticated resale. That's a new brand element. Can we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So we are so excited about this and it kind of comes back to what I referenced at the beginning, which is thinking about clothing as an asset again, which I think has probably been the most kind of profound change that we've seen in the industry over the last three, four years. It's just this real shift in psychology that I think is super powerful. And in talking to women, we felt that there was a way to do it better and a way to model it that could work for the rest of the luxury industry. And that was really by putting the brand back at the center. And so I think about it as like BMW certified pre-owned car, right? You can show up at the dealership and you can buy a brand new car or you can buy one that has been used and refurbished with that stamp of brand approval and the same level of customer service. And so- That makes so much sense. Right? And then we leverage the fact that every product that we've ever made is born digital. So you can scan the QR code. It's one of three things that you can do. There's the transparency use case, there's authenticated resale, there's repurchase. And so if if you select the resale use case, you put in exactly what the condition is and you will know upfront with total transparency exactly what it's going to sell for and what you'll get in terms of proceeds. And we've found that that is for the consigner, for the seller, that's a real pain point with third, uh, third party platforms, because there's a sense of like, I really value this. I don't want to sell it for a hundred bucks, you know? Um, so that's how it works. You get a shipping label that comes to us. We authenticate it. We clean it. We make sure that we agree with the condition. It goes up on the website. And then for the buyer, you know, you can buy a brand new t-shirt and a second hand pre-loved blazer in the same basket. 
and you get that same level of customer service. So it kind of normalizes things. And, you know, we think it democratizes access to the brand, uh, access to like exceptional quality. So we've been really excited um, to see the response. And this is kind of the tip of the iceberg, I think, really, in terms of how this evolves. No, it's super smart. If if you have a piece um, that doesn't meet the standards for resale, what happens to that piece? Do you guys not take it or do you still take it and figure out a way to get it back into the system? Yeah, we still take it. We okay. still take it. Um, we do have to let the seller know that we won't be able to put it up for a sale and we can offer the appropriate level of store credit for that but yeah we want to make sure that from an in- a product integrity standpoint that we're only putting out there what really makes sense of course of course i have i have another question which is obviously a huge question but i'm curious if you're you know getting into more elements in the metaverse and web3 and and, and by the way i can also edit this question out because it is kind of polarizing and also very difficult to answer. And I'll be super upfront. I do not understand how NFTs or anything involving cryptocurrency (laughs) any sense sustainability wise because of the energy suck. So what is your viewpoint on this? How are you reconciling this if you're entering that sphere? Just, I really have a hard time understanding. (laughs) Well, so, okay, I'm totally happy to answer this. As Liz knows, I'm actually really excited about this space and we've been talking about it and have some plans in the works. Um, So what I'll say is I think that actually done, done responsibly, it can actually be an integral part of a responsible business strategy. And the reason I say that is that I think one of the most fundamental problems with this industry is that it's so inherently speculative. Yeah. And a lot of it is just, it's accidental. You know, we pump out all of this product yeah. that we hope that somebody wants or that we can generate desire for as an industry. Right. Right. And I think the beauty of NFTs, and again, you know, done on the right chain and all of that yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Um, is that especially for a company like ours where every product already has its own digital identity why not launch you know your most fashion products in a way that the customer is buying the digital first and you're only producing to demand you right. know and so i think that is fundamentally deeply waste reducing um which is really exciting it doesn't make sense for absolutely everything there's no question about that right. Um, but that's where I see the alignment with our business model. And there are some other aspects from a democratization standpoint, from an impact uh, standpoint that we are exploring to integrate with this as well. Yeah, creating NFTs for the sake of them, you know, look at our customer base. I don't know that that adds a, a tremendous amount of value in their life or in the world, but I do think that there's a way that we can do that. Okay, no, and production efficiencies make a lot of sense. Okay, that's cool. Well, this is obviously a huge topic and a big conversation. I was just curious to take your temperature on it because yeah when it comes to nft art nft pieces for gaming i'm like i am so out but (laughs) i realize it's a big conversation and curious to see where it goes i also have an 11 year old who kind of semi lives in roblox and is equally (laughs) tomorrow and so she's all about buying another tomorrow for her avatar that's the other thing i'm like how does my son know about balenciaga and gucci and it's not for me you know, I'm like, 
What? It's very interesting. I do love that. And I see how it's going to be more prevalent in the future. Liz, last question for you. When do we see some of your work uh, hit the shelves? So the first season that I have started from the beginning and working all the way through on is spring, summer 23. So that will be September. I did have the privilege and I was so excited to kind of start this way of styling and working on spring, summer 22. Okay. And I will be doing the same for fall, winter. Okay. So it's kind of nice for me to work with the product yeah. and to work with the styling team and the photography team and, you know, our external creatives yeah. um, as we start to think about that first season that I designed. So you have, a, you have a hand in those collections, but your first collection will be Okay, cool. Well, I can't wait to see how things evolve. Just excited to have you on and thanks for thanks for your time. Super excited to be here. Thank you so much. Well, thank thank you. you. Have a good trip. Great to meet you, Liz. Happy Friday. Bye, Bye. guys. Yes, Bye. please.